Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast. Join me every other week to hear data professionals discuss how data is used in various industries, get inspired, get your field of tips to help you overcome challenges on your career, and feel great. Let's get straight into it. A few weeks ago, we released an episode with Malcolm Payne in which we spoke about how chess can help kids develop skills that will support them in life and in their career. In that episode, we were meant to be joined by Kanwal Batia, a data scientist with over 10 years experience in medical imaging. She also played chess for the England team. But Kanwal's stories is one that deserves a separate episode. This is why I am joined today by Kanwal Batia to talk about how data science is used in medical imaging, as well as a journey to build the confidence to help her start her own business in data science. Hi, Kanwal. Hi, Karen. Uh, I'm really excited about talking to you today because medical imaging is such an interesting um, topic and I would love to, to know more about how data is used in there, what challenges you're facing and particularly what kind of skills do you need to get into medical imaging. Um, so if you could start by telling us a bit more about yourself, that would be great. Sure. So. Um as you, as you said, I've been working in, in medical imaging for over 10 years now. I started, um, I did my PhD at Imperial in, in computer science for medicine and worked um, for around uh, the next 10 years in, in that field. And what, what got you into medical imaging, really? It wasn't a, a very conscious choice. I mean, I... I was interested in healthcare like from, from quite a young age. I actually, when I was a child, I wanted to, to be a doctor, but uh, actually my, my skills are more in tinkering and creating things. So it's probably not, not the most appropriate profession. So I, um, I studied engineering at university. And within that, I, I did a project in uh, the analysis of blood flow. So it was actually uh, aeronautical engineering and I was studying fluid dynamics and I, I looked at how blood flows through, through a vessel. And from there I moved in, into computing and again I, I ended up doing another project uh, applying computing to, uh, to medicine, in this case the, how the heart beats. And um, yeah, I, kept, I just seemed to keep on doing medical-based projects and I ended up doing a PhD in, in brain development and uh, analyzing and, and measuring how the brain grows in uh, babies who are born prematurely compared to how it would grow in a, in a baby born at nine months. All right, you went from, okay, playing with how the blood flows to the heart and then the brain. <laughs> That's really great. Um, you know, when you said oh, you wanted to be a doctor because uh, you were interested in healthcare and wanted to be a doctor, um, I was talking to Rachel, who is the co-founder of Women in Data this week, and she said something that 
super obvious, but it never actually crossed my mind. So she said, when you're a kid, you play to be a nurse, you play to be a teacher, you play to be a shop assistant, a doctor, but you never play at being a data specialist. <laughs> and it's really great that although you did not play at being a data specialist, you you had your idea of oh being a doctor being in healthcare and then still ending up going into healthcare but in a different kind of things but still helping people in the health industry so you spoke a bit about what you studied and your phd um in your latest jobs what would you say were your main responsibilities so in my in my last job before starting starting my own company, I was uh, leading the data science team of a company uh, doing AI in ophthalmology. Uh, so we were designing algorithms to detect disease of the eye, um, things like diabetic retinopathy and um, AMD, so diseases that you would get as you age. And so I was leading a, a team of around six people working on those algorithms, working on creating the algorithms to detect disease, to quantify disease. How are you doing this exactly? So I'm guessing it's something to do with the images. Mm -hmm. uh, how does it work? So there are different types of images you can take of the eye. Um, some are kind of uh, 3D reconstructions of the eye and some are just photographs of the eye. And you can see in those images how, how disease manifests itself and sometimes it can be quite um, subtle and sometimes it can be very obvious uh, so we were looking at creating algorithms which can both detect disease and also quantify it so you can quantify the progression of disease you can quantify if it's getting better or worse with time um, and that involves uh, a lot of machine learning a any models in particular um, so the latest models are the ones which are being used quite extensively throughout imaging in general. So things like uh, neural networks and deep learning, and they've had a lot of, they've advanced quite a lot over recent years in, in imaging in general, in computer vision in general. And they are also very relevant in the medical field. Thank you. Do you have any other examples of projects you've worked on? So I, I've worked on um, basically all parts of the body <laughs> in terms of imaging. Um, so as I mentioned, I worked on developing brains, I've worked on cardiac imaging, um, I've also worked on detecting lung cancer and uh, colonoscopy as well, which is less glamorous. But uh, mm -hmm. um, So yeah, I've, I've basically gone through the entire body. What, what was your favorite part of the body to work on? Uh, different, different things have different uh, areas of interest. So the brain is very interesting from a kind of personal perspective. It's really interesting to see how it develops and how it grows and how um, how it translates to something physical. So how the, the changes in the brain translates to, to how you, you move or how you you work from day to day. So that was very interesting. So I worked on both brain development and uh, brain disease as you age, Alzheimer's. Um, cardiac imaging is very interesting from a technical point of view because it's so complicated. Trying to take an image of a heart that's beating is, is quite challenging actually. Yeah, so that had technical challenges, but they, yeah, they all have things that are of interest, but fundamentally they're all about making people better. So that's quite a, 
rewarding. So would you say that the, the main thing that attracts you in healthcare, is it uh, making uh, think people better? Yeah, definitely. That's one of the main uh, attractions. It's also, it's very real, you know, it, you, you can see how it affects people around you. So it's something that's very concrete. It's not, it's, it's very tangible to, to me and to, to the, how it affects everyone I know. So yeah, it's a real world problem. Um, and I've always been very interested in application, not just theory. And what were your main challenges uh, working in healthcare? Obviously, except from the fact that it's hard to take a photo of a beating heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also quite a frustrating um, career. So uh, it's not all rewarding because sometimes you cannot do what you would like to do. If you're working in, the, in clinical healthcare, you often can't get the data that you need to be able to create good algorithms. So there are, there are challenges which are, which feel out of your control. You know, it's not just about creating a better algorithm. It's not just about uh, doing more work. It's how do you get around the politics that are needed or the, the infrastructure that's needed that doesn't exist to be able to do your work better and to make more of a difference. So there are kind of um, frustrations in not being able to see your, your work get used. But also, I'm guessing it has to be very sensitive data as well, no? Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm not saying that this is this should change. There are good reasons why um, why data should not be shared widely. Um, I guess it's more frustrating when it cannot be shared, even though it's ethically approved, because they don't have the physical systems in place, because they they can't they don't have uh, electronic records which are yeah. detailed enough. So those are the more frustrating things. Do, do you see a trend in that changing? So infrastructure being created for this? Yes, I do. Definitely. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change over the next 10 years or so. Um, and maybe even with COVID, it's going to be accelerated as more people have to work remotely. This data needs to, to be able to be accessed remotely. I think it's definitely going to change in the next few years. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I hope so, yeah. Still on the healthcare and imaging, um, medical imaging topics, what would you say are the main skills that are absolutely needed to be able to work in this um, industry? Mm. I think they're general data science skills. I'm not sure they're specific to healthcare. Um, I think you need to be able to, you need to like playing with data. You need to like trial and error. You need to be able to to experiment without necessarily knowing what your end goal is or not. Well, you know your end goal, but you don't know the steps to, to get there. So you need to be willing to, to experiment and to use the results of, of your experiments to inform your next decision. And it's very rare that you can, you can think through a solution to the problem right from the start. Let's imagine, okay, someone who knows a lot about data science, but has absolutely no clue about medical imaging. Would that, would that work? Would it be easy to get into this industry? So images are just data. They're just a collection of numbers, which are arranged in a particular format, in a, in a very structured format. So there are particular um, challenges with images that you don't get with less structured data but fundamentally they are just numbers. So making the change is absolutely doable. They are images, so you need to um, look at the, the images 
uh, it's not enough to base your judgments on on numbers so often if you have a if your algorithm is performing to a particular accuracy you still have to look at the the images because i guess in in imaging one of the things is there's an asymmetry in terms of what you can get wrong so if you diagnose somebody who has a disease as not having a disease that's much more serious than diagnosing somebody who hasn't got the disease with the disease from an algorithmic point of view you want to you want to err on the side of caution um, so being so the numbers themselves do not do not convey the full meaning you have to you have to actually look at the the level of disease you have to look at the images themselves so there are um, particular traits for, for of medical imaging but those are things that you can learn if you have the core data science skills you can definitely make that switch all right so you worked in medical imaging for 10 years and then you went on uh, setting your own business what made you make this decision uh yeah so I, I was I was getting to a level in in med, in my career where I was already leading teams. I was already leading projects, and I was working for startups for the last couple of years. So I was very involved in the in the business side of things as well. Um, the The company I'm actually starting is is not actually in healthcare, but over the last couple of years, uh, my passion is for for sports. So I've been watching sports and thinking. I really want to see the analysis that I've been doing in medicine. I've, I really want to see that applied to sports as a fan. I want, this is what I want to see. So um, I decided uh, that I would actually be the one to do that. That sounds fun. <laughs> so with your business, you're going to apply all your knowledge of medical imaging um, and data science and AI to uh, understand sports movements. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the plan. Again, sports video is, is still data, it's still images and video, and it's trying to get the same level of understanding that I have been working on to a new application, but still from video and images. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> and um, starting your own business, what obstacles have you faced? So the, the first obstacle was um, actually finding a team, finding somebody to, to help me out with this. It's, it's very difficult to do on your own. And um, so I spent a lot of time trying to find a co-founder who would work on this. And it, it was quite difficult because people are interested, but they are not willing to take that leap to take to you know fully commit themselves to a project like this. So I worked with a couple of people um, last year trying to come up with uh, some tech, doing some technical work, but um, ultimately it's hard to find the same level of commitment um, within your own network, which is quite small. So actually this year I started at a, a startup generator called Antler and um, they bring people who want to start companies together and that really helped with the network issue. So from there, I could find people who were not only interested in starting what I want to do, but also committed. So that made it much easier. I, I guess that um, if the idea of starting a business doesn't come from you originally, it, it, make, it means that you're not as willing to put as much time to it because it's, not, it's kind of not your baby, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
yeah and finding those people isn't isn't necessarily so easy if you're you're only looking within your network so it helps to be to be put in a in a place where every you know everyone wants to start a business yeah <laughs> That, that takes a lot of courage as well doesn't it because you end up talking to people you you don't know and then you're starting a business with these people yeah yeah it's it's um there, there is a you're taking a big leap but um actually one of the things in in this program that i i joined in antla is that the first two weeks were just about talking to other people just about getting to know people and making sure you are a good fit for for your company So it's quite intense, um, but I think it's it's what you need. Yeah. So in the end, you don't feel like oh, you're going to go into business with a complete stranger. You have a good idea of who the person is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, smart. In terms of uh, challenges you faced yourself throughout your career, mm-hmm. is there any particular challenge that popped out? Yeah. I mean, I think confidence is a big one, and I, I think that's true of a lot of women. Um, in in science, where we're definitely outnumbered, and um, there are the the usual challenges that you hear about that women don't apply for for jobs that they don't tick all the boxes for. And for me, that was definitely definitely an issue. Um, I I was finding myself a lot of times in in work where I was more qualified than the person managing me. And that's not because they weren't unqualified for their job. It's because they applied for that job and I didn't. Um, so I, I think I would have started a business earlier if I had that level of confidence. So I'm I'm at the stage now where I've had a lot of validation in my career. I've been in in positions where I've been influencing business from uh, from my day to day work, and that's given me the validation. To, to know that I can do this. Um, I've seen other people who who take that leap with a lot less validation, a lot less evidence, but who do very well in their in their businesses. So it's not that I don't think I could have done it earlier, it's that I, I've needed to gain that level of, of validation or data, if you like, to, to be able to have that confidence to do it. The, on the other side, um, I, I do feel genuinely confident now it's not a um yeah it, it's the confidence I have now is genuine it's not it doesn't feel like such a risk okay so now you're confident starting your own business ready to take up the world of sport <laughs> <laughs> I love this and um do you feel so you did mention the lack of confidence uh and um also you said something really really interesting about Um, so earlier you mentioned the fact that working in um, medical imaging, you need to reach to a conclusion without really knowing how to get there. Um, do, do, you, do you feel like, so on, in terms of confidence, but in terms of how you make decisions at work and how you actually go about doing your work, do you think chess Uh, has impacted this because you did play at a really high level uh, has this impacted your career yeah definitely um for the reason you said one of the one of the things in chess is you know your goal you know you know you want to win you want to checkmate the opposing king um but you don't know you can't plan the full route to get there you can plan the next few steps but you don't know 
the exact sequence that you're going to there, there, are too, there are too many variations, so you can't calculate it to the end. And um, being comfortable with that level of uncertainty, I think, is quite useful in, in business as well, especially in starting your own business where you know what you want to achieve, but you, you don't know the route. You don't know the exact route. You have to keep trying things out. You have to, to know what the most promising next step is rather than uh, having a concrete calculation. And I have a question that that's more for me than the listeners. Um, so do you feel like chess has impacted you in terms of business? So if you compare chess and business, chess is a competitive sport, mm-hmm. like most sports. And um, playing sports, you develop some kind of confidence. Um, do you think this confidence that was brought to you through chess and knowing what you could do in chess um, led to a positive confidence experience in business or in a negative experience? Um, there, are di- there are different sides to it. So um, the, the positive, uh, as I said, you, you're comfortable with uncertainty and making judgments to the best of your current knowledge without necessarily being able to, to calculate to the end, to, to knowing the full route. There are also uh, negative sides to it, I think, from the perspective of being in a competitive environment, which is very much based on on results, uh, you know you know where you stand in in competitive sport and in, in chess and in other other sports. Your ability is very easy to measure. If you if you are good at something, you are you know you are good. Everybody knows you are good. In business, it's very opaque. You don't know how to compare yourself to other people um, in, in sport and in chess, for example. I know which tournament I can enter and which I can win, which I have a realistic chance of winning in business. I wasn't able to, to judge which job I should be applying for. And you don't know where you stand in comparison to other candidates. Um, so not having that level of knowledge, kind of disconcerting, it, it can be difficult to evaluate where you are. Yeah, I... I I totally relate to that, and I am glad that I'm not the only one. Uh, I feel that this this not knowing where you actually stand can actually cause a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I myself um, competed at an international level, not in chess. Uh, I have to admit, I do not know how to play chess, <laughs> <laughs> but I did do uh, some athletics, and just like you said you know where you stand. So I know how fast I run. I know if I can go, if I'm at my limit, if I can go a bit faster. I, I know the girls around me, so I know how fast they run, what's their weaknesses, etc. But yeah. then going into business, you just have absolutely no clue. Most of the time, you don't even know how much people are making. So you don't know, you can't even compare with the salaries and yeah. things like that. <laughs> do, do you have... Um, a tip on how to have overcome this, this, I guess, lack of comparative um, confidence. Yeah, so, I mean, for me, as I, as I mentioned, I needed quite a lot of validation before I, I made certain steps. And I think to, uh, I needed much more than I, I needed much more personally than I actually needed in, in terms of how well I would have done. Um, and I mean, that has the benefit of, giving you a lot of self-belief in terms of, of your decisions and, and your, your views. They're not based on your opinion on any particular day. They're based on a lot of experience, a lot of work that's gone behind that. Um, so 
if you if you go down the route that I did of kind of almost over validating it, you you do have a lot more self belief. So I, I would say that you, you don't need that level of, of validation. You you probably are further ahead of, of where you think you are. As I said, you don't have to see the full route. So be ambitious, go for for a high goal and cross each bridge as you come to it and um, deal with with take things one step at a time. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really nice advice. Thank you, Kanoi. No problem. It was really nice having you today. It was great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. If you would like to register to the community, all you need to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. It's free and easy. Please feel free to share the link with anyone you think would benefit from being part of the community. You can also follow us on social media, so LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. We would love to hear from you and have some feedback that will help us enhance the content and bring the guests you want to hear from. Have a great day.